0: Uh, show you the origins of Samaria and the lady at the well. This is where it all started Um, here in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 through 27. I want to talk about the um, cost of fear and insecurity. The uh, printouts are long, but a lot of it's the word. Um, I probably won't read every single scripture we have in there. You can study it. Um, And then again, I might. I don't know. But I definitely want to read read this portion because this right here, when you know, love is simple, pure, and
1: easy.
0: Easy. Easy. This right here is an overcomplication. Was it? Is it Mm overcomplication of the prophetic word that God gave Jeroboam? Remember, He told Jeroboam that because of Solomon's. Uh, disobedience and the idolatry and all the ladies he had that he was going to take ten tribes out of Rehoboam's hands and give them to Jeroboam and and then the the word he gave him was that he would build his kingdom like he did David's I mean I don't know If, if the Lord was to come to me and say hey you know you're going to rule and I'm going to build your kingdom just as sure as I did David's I think that would probably be a good thing to embrace and trust and execute, right? Yet fear and insecurity, which is centered in unbelief, complicates things, including words. Straightforward words from the Lord. So let's look at this and kind of the the mental reasoning that Jeroboam went through. So in verse 25, it says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and lived there. And he went out from there, and he bent, bent, good grief, built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who has brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Does that sound familiar? Anyone?
1: Anyone?
0: (laughs) And he set one in Bethel, which makes me really sad, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to, uh, to be before one, Okay, so we'll, we'll continue. But what we see right here is a heart of fear. So it says that he thought in his heart. Okay, the kingdom is going to go back to Rehoboam if I don't stop them, right, from going to Jerusalem. Because in Jerusalem was the Temple of Solomon. It was the seat of worship. It was the center of worship. In fact, there were laws that they had to go to Jerusalem, what, three times a year or so? For specific feasts. Passover Feast of uh, tabernacles and is it anyway uh, trumpets I think
1: it was trumpet. Passover
0: anyway there's three. Oh atonement was a big yeah. one. And, uh, but anyway so that was a law but God didn't say that if they went back up there they would turn on them he said I will build your kingdom Okay, so now we have a situation where God gave a prophetic word. It's come to pass just like he said, and yet Jeroboam did not trust the word. And it seems like that keeps coming up. Like me and Doreena had a dis- uh, discussion about that uh, last weekend. I've been pondering it, that God keeps speaking what he will do and what he's saying about us, and it's yet we have blinders. Sometimes we just have blinders to what he's saying. And so this guy here did, and that typically, which we'll see, is a lack of fatherlessness or it's a lack of a nurturing uh, mother in the home uh, that creates a trust in our parents. You know, as parents, we present a picture of what father looks like, whether it's good or bad. A lot of people, you know, they do the best they can, right? Uh, But, for some people, that picture actually creates a wedge between the child knowing God's voice or not, or brings them closer. I remember when Kent was little, he'd get mad at me and he'd say, I don't like you. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm not here for you to like me. I'm here for you to hear God's voice, that's it, the end. (laughs) You know, and then he'd get really fussy. But, here we have Jeroboam, a heart full of fear on many different levels, and a lack of faith in God to perform his word. So both Shechem and Penuel were fortress cities. Now, in most fortress cities back in the day, they weren't just a military city. They also had, and I didn't know this until I was studying it, a tower or an idolatrous temple. So I guess the way it worked is whatever God they were trusting to take care of them, they would build that temple to. The high place? Yeah, the high yeah. And so, now, I couldn't confirm if that was the case in both of these, but in ancient, ancient, good grief, ancient Shechem, it had a Canaanite temple, and it was known as a Migdal or Fortress Temple. That's what they were called. Then Pen- Penuel was torn down by Gideon in Judges 8.17 in response to to the elders of the city who refused to feed worn-out soldiers' bread. But it says that they broke down the tower of Penuel, which is Migdal in the Hebrew. So it can be a fortress tower minus idolatrous aspect. We don't know what he did, but it kind of, to me, lends to the idea that he might have done that because then later in Bethel and in Dan he has the two calves. So, I'm not sure. I just want to point out that could be the case. Already showing a heart going to idolatry. Now, just understand how much of a slap in the face this would be, okay? So, here's just a synopsis of the word God gave him. Jeroboam would take ten tribes from Rehoboam because of idol worship. Number two, you will reign over all that your soul desires. And you will be king over israel number three the most important part i will be with you number four i will build you a sure house as i built for david number five i will give israel to you okay so the fact that god said like moses you know he goes to moses like hey once you to go back once you to deliver the israelites out of the land of Egypt and I'll be with you but I don't speak very well it's okay I'll be with you but blah 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 I'll be with you right and then finally the last time he's like fine your brother can be your spokesperson you're not getting out of it I will be with both of you the the whole idea of I will be with you is covenant that is a covenant phrase so God was with Joseph. What did Joseph do? He prospered in everything he set his hand to, including in prison when he was falsely accused because there was a covenant relationship between Joseph and between the Lord, so God was with him. Where it says, I will give you the power to gain wealth. Why? To confirm my covenant in the earth. So Joseph, who was prosperous in everything he did, was confirming the covenant that God was with him. So whenever God tells us to do something, the worst thing you can do is to start reasoning, to start looking at what you're lacking, to try to figure out how it's going to work, to try to figure out why did he talk to you about it, couldn't there be someone else that's better, blah, blah. The only thing you need to say is, you know what, the fact that you're telling me this right now tells me that you will be with me and contained within your prophetic word is the
1: all the power i need to do what you've called me to do. I wrote this just he finished God's sentence. We talked about that. Yeah. Well, sometimes we finish God's sentence and i've done it and not realized that you thought you reasoned how that was yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Well, if you look at Abraham and Sarah and some of
0: these these fear and insecurity issues can cause major problems. Because when you look at Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to give you a child. Okay. What does he do? He listens to his wife. He sleeps with this chick. They have Ishmael, and we're still dealing with the issue to this day. You know, that lie that your decisions only impact you or maybe those close to you, that is exactly that. It is a myth. If there are decisions you will make today that will impact you 10 years from now and possibly others 20, 30, or the next generation, right?
1: And some of that, you know, it says to the third generation. Oh yeah. You know, it goes right on down. Yeah. I think one of the most interesting things that I ever remember hearing was when Paul Harvey, you know, the rest of Loved the story. Him. And he would always, uh, every so often he would do this one and he, where they, somebody, he told who it was, had traced down these twin brothers, and one was a Christian, one was uh, the opposite, definitely. And then he traced down their descendants for, I forgot how many generations, and on the side of the believers were doctors and lawyers and judges and, uh, you know, and on the other side how many of them had got into prostitution, drug dealing, selling, using, uh, criminals, and it was starkly different. Yeah. And, and, but yet the there were twin brothers, you know. Yeah. But they had gone in different ways. And you know, so the fact that this guy had been a Christian and the other one had definitely not been a Christian, and then you saw how their generations had gone.
0: Yeah. And it's the story of the Bible. I mean if you look at the generations where the Lord said, and this generation will not pass away till they see the Son of Man, right? So that was in the Transfiguration, but then he also talked about another generation that would be worse off for them. Well, obviously, for the Pharisees, they're dead. He's referring to a lineage. There's two lineages in the earth the seed of the enemy and the seed of God. And we're now the seed of Abraham, right? We're the true, what would you say, true Israelites, true Israel, not displacement or replacement doctrine. But. If you're born again, you are a child of God. And, and then you've got Carolyn Leaf, your uh, example brings up that, where epigeneticists, I mean, these are scientists that don't, You know, some of them probably don't even know the word, and they've traced all thought to either fear or love. So on the, the fear tree, you know, you've got uh, alcoholism, strife, anger, you know, all of the, the bad fruit, and then on the love tree, you've got all the good things. Our brains were designed to operate under love, not fear. And then when you look back to the fall, what was it? Fear of not being what God had already told them they were. So your statement that love is straightforward and obvious is so true. Because from the beginning, he's love. And the straightforward, obvious thing is he is who you say, who he says you are. 100% 100% of the time. You are who he says you are. He is who he says he is. We don't need to add anything to it. But like you said, he's finished God's sentences. And, uh, and then the condition of the promise was exactly the same. Listen to all that I command you. Walk in my ways, do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments as David my servant, did. This is the best example that God is no respecter of persons. He is giving the exact same promises to this guy. The promises are not earned. Okay? There are conditions we must fill, but he is no respecter of persons. That's why it says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. At the end of the Hebrews 11, you can literally read everything these people did, and you can say, that's mine, that's mine. I take that, I take that. That's the power of the testimony. Whatever is sown by the mouth in testimony of what God has done, you can say, that's mine, right? So it recreates that very thing. So here God's like, I will do the same thing I did with David. Now, I think one of the things that occurred with Jeroboam is he fled to Egypt. Remember, he tried to do a coup with Solomon. Solomon found out, wanted to kill him. So he flees to Egypt under Shishak. (laughs) That's
1: a funny name. And he was probably mentored
0: by the king of Egypt instead of the Lord. All right, so now we've got this whole situation. We read verses 28 through 29 where he's starting to build uh, a worship system. Let's resume in verse 30. Uh, Let's see. And then this thing became a sin. For the people went as far as Dan to be before one calf. He also made temples on high places. He appointed priests from among the people who were not the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast for the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made, He went up to the altar they made in Bethel on the 15th day on the 8th month in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make sacrifices. This is a straight up counterfeit system of worship. But here's what's incredible. Solomon fell because of idolatry. And then your answer to that issue is to establish a
1: state sanctioned idolatrous worship system? And use the same calf that the, the Israelites, when they left Egyptian and got in trouble for It's like voting for Biden because you don't like the Orange Man and how rude he is.
0: It is unbelievable how we think sometimes, really. Yeah. Like the lady Chris Ann yeah, said. That's what I was you repeat the mistakes in history if you don't study history. And that's the whole point that we're doing here, is the heart, if it's left to its own devices, can be exceedingly wicked. Now, that was an Old Testament reality in which Jesus Christ gave us a new heart. That was prophesied by Jeremiah. But the sole part of humanity, whether you're born again or not, will always be susceptible to the influence of fallen nature so you always have to be on guard that's why like for example you know january sixth, and that day and i'm walking on the treadmill and i'm already upset because i know the election's been stolen and i'm watching these like lambs led to the slaughter go into the the white house i'm like that's it it's over it's over and um And then I stopped because I learned this this lesson a long time ago. I said, hang on, Lord, how do you see this? You always want to ask him that. How do you see this situation? Because he will think totally different. It says we have the mind of Christ. What that means is you tap into the mind of Christ. Now, Paul said we have the mind of Christ. So together, that's why it's so important to have people in your life that will say, hey, you know, or what's going on here, blah, blah. Or they could just be talking and they'll say something and you'll know that's your answer. Oh, there's my answer. Okay. <clears throat> so I asked him. I said, what are you thinking about this? Because this to me looks catastrophic. And he, all of a sudden I'm back in the vision of America and this time she's being revived, which is a completely different picture of what I was getting and what I was thinking, right? So that's the thing. What Where, especially when you find yourself in a place of fear or uncertainty or insecurity, you know, you can feel that nagging voice of insecurity, right? It starts whispering to you. When you start hearing that sound, you need his sound. It's that simple. When you're hearing, whether it's a soul sound that's uh, based in a, a part of you that's not yet been renewed, whether it's a demonic sound, because the war is over sound. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but we are in the decade where the war is over the sound. So whatever sound you're going to listen to, there's an anointing on that. If you go back to Genesis, right, what would happen every day? They would hear the sound of the Lord. Right. Because if you look at the original language, it says that he would go walking in the cool of the day. Now, you know, he wasn't like, you know, Mary Poppins showing up with, you know, he was... Pain in his you know, umbrella and bag, and he'd just walk into the garden, his voice would be carried on the breeze. That's literally what that means. Remember, we've studied that. And so that's why when Nicodemus came up to him and he was talking to him, he said, the Spirit goes wherever the Spirit wills. And he started talking about air and breeze, you know, all of this stuff. And he's like, how is it that you don't know these things as a teacher of Israel? He was hearkening back to the pre-fall state. So that sound is what they would heard, Here, For them, it was outside. For us, it's inside, because He lives in us. So we have to hear His sound over any sound our soul is saying, any sound the media is saying, any sound uh, demons are saying. They could be the same thing. We've got to make sure that we're hearing the sound. What happened? The serpent, which was disguising the enemy, came to them and said, did God really say? Every catastrophe in mankind is, did God really say? Yeah, he did, actually. Right? So then they begin to pay attention to that sound, and before you know it, we have the fall. So it is. It's a war of sound, and we need to make sure we're hearing his voice, or we can get carried away in uh, what everybody else is thinking and saying. Okay. This, I mean, seriously, this is amazing that he did this. Now, it appears that Jeroboam and whoever his counselors were did a perverse interpretation of Scripture because we've got here in Exodus 32, 1 through 6, where it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses... The man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what has become of him. So Aaron said, okay. I mean, so how easy. He just went with the plan. Take the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said... There are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. So they rose early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now remember what Aaron told Moses. I don't know what happened. All I know is everybody brought me their gold. I threw it in the fire. Poof! This calf popped out. Just couldn't believe it. I mean, did did Jared Bowles Kelsor say, you know, I remember a story about a calf. Isn't there a story about a calf in the Bible? Yeah, yeah. Aaron, the high, the first high priest, fashioned a golden calf. Why don't we do the same thing? It's like they didn't finish the story.
1: Either that, or he picked it up in Egypt when he was in there.
0: He could have, which we know that Aaron, and, you know, the people did. Anyway, it just and that word God, by the way in uh, Exodus is actually Yahweh so they use his name and uh, you know Lord wasn't happy with it so it appears that they thought this was such a great idea they would do two of them now in 1 Kings 13 and 34 it says and this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam so as to cut it off and destroy it from the face of the earth now what became sin was the unbelief because unbelief is the root of all sin uh, i can't remember the other day someone we were talking about i think it might have been a marriage mentoring and they were talking about some of the things her husband you know, was doing and i'm like yeah absolutely i mean that those are bad things um and explained to them unbelief and insecurity and where all that was coming from i said but what about your fear don't you know fear is not uh, a faith, therefore it's a sin? That's in Romans. I think I've got it somewhere in here. Uh, so anything not a faith is sin. So we have to be really careful that we're not looking at big, what well, we would say big sins, and then be blind to our own. Uh, I was talking to another lady, and I said, I want to be very careful here because Whenever you are examining another human being that is in relationship with you, you must always consider yourself, lest you too fall, right? So it's it's it, an always, you have to. And so here we have this situation where Jeroboam, because of unbelief, and didn't we uh, figure out last week, or whenever we were last here, um, that Jeroboam's, wasn't it his? No, it was Rehoboam. His mom was a prostitute. So we went through his father wounds. I'm not sure about Jeroboam's. But anyway, this became a big deal. Uh, Jeroboam never repented. It says in 2 Kings seventeen twenty-one through 23, when he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had spoken by all his servants of prophets. So Israel was exiled from their own land to Assyria until this day. Now, I'm not sure what the time span is, but we do know that from the time he made uh, Shechem, etc., uh, until... They were completely wiped out, which by the way, the Assyrians were brutal, brutal, brutal. If there was anybody you did not want to get attacked by, it was Assyria. It'd be better to be attacked by Nebuchadnezzar, and he was uh, almost just as bad.
1: I thought it was interesting, Jeroboam drove Israel.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, that's (laughs) the difference between a leader and a master. Because a master will drive you. A leader leads. And so he, there were laws made, religions made, like he literally drove them to their own destruction because he sucked as a leader, right? He wasn't one. A true leader, you know, I think the most important lesson to be learned of a true leader, whether you're leading your uh, children, whether you're a leader at work, whether you're a leader in whatever form or fashion, is to learn to live before an audience of one. That's it. He's the only one that matters. He is absolutely the only one that matters. I remember me and Kent were talking, and um, it was about Marjorie Taylor Greene, and he was saying how he listened to her on a podcast. He said, I always think I'm in trouble. I listened to her like when I was a kid. And uh, I think she's a, she might be a, is she a senator or a congress lady? I'm not sure. She's in one of the houses. Um, But anyway, and she's a Christian. And, you know, I told Kent, I said, I know I'm a hammer. I'm a hammer. I'm always gonna hammer. The balance to that is in actually Kathy's song that she wrote that is <laughs> in my my closet where it must be tempered, which isn't that like, isn't that a process where you heat it and then?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the hammer grass, has to be
0: hammered, yeah. right? And if you do it too fast, you'll crack it. You'll hurt it. And so it has to be tempered by love. I thought that was interesting. I always get love in my words. I wonder why. Just kidding. (laughs) Okay. Now, we're going to take a little detour. This is one of the most interesting stories. Um, It's a rabbit trail, for sure. Okay. And it sounds unfair, but I want to tackle it. Because God is never, ever unfair. Ever. Okay. So we've got Jeroboam doing his dumb stuff. And then we have in 13, verse 1, it says, now I want you to take note how he's described. And behold, a man of God. Okay, so take note of that. Came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And a man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Now this is, if I'm not mistaken, 300 years before Josiah was born. Okay. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is a sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up, so he couldn't draw it back to himself. The altar was also torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man, um, can you pray for the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me? And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him because and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. I bet he was. And the man of God said to the king, if you give me half your house, I will not go in with you, and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so was it commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall ne- neither eat bread nor drink water, nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return the way that he came. Okay, so we've got Jeroboam operating in fear. Okay? We're now going to see insecurity.
1: So keep the name man of God, because these are two parallel stories. Well, I love the part that he wasn't even named. Right. right. You know, you don't have to have a big feature in mm-hmm. all capitals mm-hmm. to be Significant in the kingdom of God, right? And that's I think for everybody. Yeah it feels a little bit less than oh And in fact, you know, Hollywood, Hollywood
0: churches are are going to Be a problem and it's going to go back into the original intent, right? And so the uh, no, what is it? the um, nameless faceless generation there's been that word for decades a nameless faceless generation that will spark a revival that we've not seen probably the third great awakening so you're absolutely right he has no name but he's extremely accurate and like any prophet he has signs and wonders okay and he has a heart where he prayed for the king which shows you that he didn't hate the king right he loved the king And see these stories right here are so helpful for me because, well, y'all know, you can just listen to me. Stunning prophecy. Okay, so calls him Josiah by name, that Josiah was gonna kill all the false priests, et cetera, et cetera. He was gonna be a descendant of David, but also a king, and he would invade Israel just to deal with the idolatry. As a sign, the altar was torn down, the ashes poured out, amazing. By the way, uh, Josiah means God supports and heals. Okay, so here we have this story. Now let's continue with verse 11. Now, an old prophet, I want you to take note of that. So, you have the man of God, you got the prophet, he lived in Bethel. I'd like to know why he wasn't there prophesying against the idolatry. Just a question I have. And his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And uh, their father said, well, which way did he go? And his son showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said, saddle a donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and mounted it. And he went after the man of God, and he found him sitting under an oak. He's probably an introvert. He needed to regroup himself. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. He said, well, come with, home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you, nor will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place, because the Lord told me, don't do those things. Okay. So here we now have this setup. You've got the man of God talking to the prophet. And it's the Hebrew word for prophet in the Bible, so he is a legitimate prophet. But I want to know, what was his motive in speaking to this man of God? Why did he want him to go to his house? You may think, well, they're fellow ministers. Okay, well, if that's the case, then why would he want him to disobey the word? You see what I mean? And again, why was a prophet at home? He should have been standing out and standing up to the idolatry. So was he a real prophet? I'm not sure. You know what's interesting? Speaking of, Timothy is one of the great heroes because you know how Paul told him. he said, you know, we're on the topic of fear. Um, war with your prophetic word, number one. But God didn't give us a spirit of fear, he told him. He didn't do that. He gave us one of power and a sound mind or whole. That's what that word sound means, whole mind. But I find it interesting that the word that's used is sound. But what's fascinating with Timothy is he was timid. Okay? So he struggled with that. But he died a hero, because they were having one of those um, um, festivals and ceremonies and celebrations to, I think it's, is it libel, Uh, L-Y-B-I-L, I believe, and there would be open on the street castrations and orgies between all kinds of different animals and same sex and all that stuff, and Timothy had been preaching against that stuff for a long time because he was the pastor of you know ephesus and uh so he went out to the streets and he began to protest and he was murdered so you know when you look at areas where you may struggle with you know fear or unbelief or insecurity whatever it is don't just sit there and look at how far you have to go right look at how far you've come You know, I think we we all, especially C's and D's, tend to go to a negative perspective. When I look back at how mean and angry and fussy I was, where even my face changed, when I quit being a turd, you know, when I look at that versus today, um, even my empathy has increased. That's a miracle. I'm not kidding, man. When you have a high psychopath level, I bet if I was to take that today, I'd be (laughs) low. So don't focus on those things, but also keep in mind, it's how you finish. You know what I mean? It's how you finish. You start your race in love with him. You finish your race in love with him. There's no better way to go. Whether you're martyred or not martyred, it's how you finish, and it will be determined by how much you love him. And so here you have this young man. He's obviously, he's number one, uh, a no name. Number two, he just had to confront the king. I'm sure he was very nervous. I'm sure he was tired from his journey. He's sitting there. He's probably hungry. He's probably a nervous wreck to a degree. And here this prophet, a legitimate prophet, comes. And he tells him in verse 17, and this is why you got to live before an audience of one, guys. He says, it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither, you know, neither eat bread nor drink water here nor return. And then the prophet guy says, "I am, I also am a prophet as you are." Hold up, hold up. Did God call him a prophet? No. 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 He was called a man of God. What's he doing? It's flattery.
1: Yeah, it's almost like the same thing as in the garden. I yeah. I'm thinking about, you know. Did God say that?
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The enemy always does the same thing, guys. He's got a pattern. If you can discern his pattern, you know when he's operating. He always causes you to doubt who you are. That's it. Warfare is centered around identity. And so he's like, I'm a prophet as you are. So now, okay, then he goes further. He says, an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat. And drink water, but he lied to him. Now, this is why I will always say, until I'm dead, that I am not impressed with gifts, I'm not impressed with supernatural manifestations. The Antichrist will have lying signs and wonders. Paul said, If an angel comes to you and preaches anything but the gospel that I've preached to you, let that angel be a curse, anathema. You can never get out of going to hell, right? You'll never get out of destruction. That's what that word means. So here's the deal. You live before an audience of one, right? Someone comes up to you. Not why I'm sure I'm pointing to you, (laughs) but there you are. Someone comes up to you and says, well, an angel told me blah, blah, blah. Uh Uh-uh. No? First of all, you called me a prophet. I didn't say I was a prophet. Number two, I don't care if an angel told you. I don't care if God came down on a mountain and told you. He told me to not eat or drink water with anybody. You're esteemed to titles or to another person. If you're not careful, you will esteem over God. Okay? You have to be sure you're hearing his voice. That's it. It's a war. Man, what? It is a war of sound. We've got a war of sound that's occurring right now in this. That
1: is a prophetic word. Well, I think, too, that uh, we are seeing that uh, in our churches, don't you think? That we have the old, let's just say the old guard, and they are threatened Mm -hmm. by anybody new coming up with a fresh perspective that they hadn't received. Yeah. And they are, and they will say and do to... um, diminish Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. by because you see he pulled the angel told me he pulled a trump card that was he thought was going to override you know that this guy his revelation his revelation so it's like my revelation is greater because an angel came before me and told me yeah you know so uh and i'm not too sure we're not we don't see that in not every church but that the old the old uh leadership is threatened mm-hmm. with something with fresh revelation that they didn't receive themselves
0: I've I've never like really felt threatened but I was, <laughs> I was still under rain on my back I remember when we used to help with youth it's like I could like teach someone or mentor someone and then they would do like all these miracles and all these fabulous things I don't know if a, bird or a and I'm like well, <laughs> I'd like to do those things too and they'd come and tell me all the miracles they're operating in and did this and did that and you know thank you so much for your mentoring I'm like you're welcome You know, like I'm like, and I'm like Lord where what's, where's my stuff that ain't fair and uh, so then I had a, a word and uh, the person said you are an elevator oh yeah a box I'm a box that goes up and down is that what you're saying like I was a little irritated I didn't I love people doing more than me. That wasn't the problem. I would just like to do a little bit of what they were doing. And uh, he's like, yeah, because you elevate people to where they need to be. And I was like, okay, I'm a box that elevates people where they need to be. Bye, you go have fun doing miracles. I'm just going to stay right here in the elevator. (laughs) But anyway, it's important to know your role, right? And so, that was one of the lessons of like you know what you can either be jealous, or you can do more of that. I was like you know what I'll do more than that. I'll do the I'm a, anybody I can find that I can get operating the miracles. I will, I will do that. Whatever it is, whatever prophecy it doesn't matter. The word lie means to deal falsely about something or with someone. The opposite of being truthful and honest. False prophets. Now get this. We're always deceiving themselves thought that was interesting. And others. I thought that was very inter- interesting. So the false prophet, he adds this extra supernatural event to trump the man of gods, an angel. And this is gonna be a very hard lesson because again, it doesn't matter who's given you the word. If it contradicts what you know God has told you and you've already seen the supernatural effects of that word like this man did, you stick to your original. Uh, I've had that happen. I've had people give me false words and people I respected, people I trusted, names of people that have even written books where I've been at events, and I knew it wasn't from the Lord. That's not what the Lord told me. Now, what do I do with those? Now, this is important. Um, I'll put them on a shelf. If I know for a fact they're going to pull me out of my call, I usually just dismiss them. But if there's, you know what? I'm going to live a long life. I could see maybe that happening at some point. I'll put it up on a shelf and ask God to show me what I need to do with it. If he ever says, that's not for me, I take it and I put it in file 13. Okay? So you just got to make sure you know the sound of God's voice. Verse 20, as he said at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back and he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten. Uh, bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water, your body uh, shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. Okay, this is the same... I don't have any good name. This is the same false prophet that manipulated him to come eat with them. And then as soon as he sits down, he's like, well, here's the word of the Lord. You know, I'm like... Anyway, so... The man of God, this is after he had eaten bread and drank water. I'm glad you finished your meal. It's probably the last one. Saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road and the donkey stood beside it and the lion stood beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it, in the city where the old prophet lived wow so the word cry is to call proclaim and announce so this is obviously a supernatural sign for a couple of reasons number one lions typically don't just sit next to a body the lion had not attacked the body or the donkey that was also sitting there and this whole thing irritates me this whole story irritates me because if anybody needs to be eaten by a lion it's a false prophet You know, hear this man, God, this is his first word, guys, you know. (laughs) He's just, and he gets eaten by a lion. And I was like, Lord, I don't like this. This is dumb. (laughs) However, the Lord let me know that actually this is not a picture of injustice. The young man was given a direct order from the Lord as part of a word that had already been confirmed. The word's already confirmed. Confirmed. That confirmation was the altar being torn and ashes. He already knew he heard from God. It did not matter if the guy said there's an angel, right? Because he's already got the confirmation. It's an also uh, an example of the idea of the phrase, this is not fair, is a uh, false mindset. Because who are we to judge what God does with his servants? In Romans 14, 7 through 12, it says, None of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that it might be the Lord, he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. So why do you stand in judgment or pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? We will all stand before the judgment seat of the Lord. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will confess to God, that each of us will give an account of ourselves to Him. So, you know, here's the thing. I've wondered this. Now, I know the lion ate them, and that was the word of the prophet. But years ago, I used to get frustrated. and, and I, Well, let me rephrase this. Let's be real. I can still get frustrated when I get behind somebody that's really slow. I'm like... Why are you going 18? It is 25, okay? Why are you going 30? It is 55, Yeah, you know, whatever it is. So I get frustrated. But when things, and I came to this final conclusion uh, this year, remember I kept trying to get an estimate on my, um, oh, what's Sprinkler it called? System. Sprinkler system, yeah. And I'm like, what is wrong with these people? And that was right after we had like five plumbers we had tried to get to do some work for us and it wouldn't work out, you know? And finally, I started connecting the dots. I'm like, you know what, Lord? I wonder if these delays and these obstacles are actually Your protection. What if they're gonna, you come here and do a bad job? What, you know, whatever it is, what if they're gonna charge me a lot more than they say, or what? If they're not gonna finish the job. Like, there's so many things that can happen. So what I do now is, if there's a delay or an obstacle, I bind up any spirit that might be prohibiting. Then I just embrace it just embrace it, you know what I mean? Um, It doesn't mean that you don't hold people to account that give their word and things like that, but it might be that God is preventing a disaster. So with this young man of God, and he may not have been young, I just think he's probably an immature uh, uh, prophet in training, but with him, what if the reason he wasn't supposed to eat with anybody or drink with anybody is, number one, the spiritual principle of covenant, when you eat with people, you're at covenant with people, okay? And so he was in an idolatrous place. So that right there could be the situation, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, don't even eat with these people. But what if it was to prevent the lion from attacking them? Now, that may not be the case. But what if he had to get directly back because he was, there was going to be a collision course with some disaster? Um, like if you're traveling and there's a delay. Uh, when we went to uh, Florida, the last time I drove there, it's like 19 hours. And we got stuck, you know, on on a road. I'm like, Dad, is there any way I can get on a frontage road and get off this, you know, parking lot? Because <laughs> I'm eastbound, I can't, you know. And he's like, nope, one, you're stuck. There's no way to get off. And I was like, all right. So I'm sitting there. I've driven for almost, well, it's been 17 hours. I'm I'm hungry. I'm tired of being in the car. I was with Elizabeth. I'm tired of being in the car. And, uh, and the Lord's like how do you know that I didn't, this isn't preventing, you know, like a wreck or something? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, is it? <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know. And then all of a sudden you just calm down, right? All right. <clears throat> so, this reaction is even stranger. Verse 26. So when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, is it the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord? Yeah, you jerk because of your stupid false prophecy. That's not in the word, by the way. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. And he saddled it. And he went and he found his body thrown in the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave, and they mourned over him. Alas, my brother. Okay, is this just not weird?
1: It's pretty weird.
0: It's a weird story. I'm like, okay, he's dead because of you, but really because of him. And yet, the whole thing is just weird. And after he buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave which the man of God has buried. Lay my bones upon his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses and the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. Okay, Okay. this is, again, it's really, really weird. And part of it can be some of the, the original language. The word mourn means to lament. But depending on its participial forms, it also can refer to professional Whalers, so they and that was like remember when Jesus went to resurrect that girl, they had hired professional um whalers. Okay, so here's the end of Jeroboam after these things, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became a house or a sin to the house of Jeroboam, so he was cut off and was destroyed from the face of the earth. So, this is the very first place samaria is said by name okay so samaria became the capital city of the northern kingdom of israel when omri uh, ended up constructing it which we'll read about later and you know it's got its own history and things like that um in the baker encyclopedia of the bible it says that the opposition with Samaria was first politically motivated, but then it became religious. And then possibly in the fourth century, and that would be toward the end of the Persian kingdom, which then started the Greek, a rival temple was erected on Mount Gerizim. An example of Jewish hostility toward the Samaritans about this time came from Ecclesiasticus 50, 25 through 26, where the Samaritans are placed below the Edomites and Philistines in esteem and are termed a foolish people. Jewish regard for the Samaritans was not enhanced by their lack of resistance to Antiochus Epiphanes' campaign to pro- promote Hellenistic worship in the area. While part of the Jew- Jewish community resisted transforming of the uh, Jerusalem temple to the temple of Zeus and eventually followed the Maccabees' re- revolt, some suggest the Samaritans did not. Okay, so um, that's why when the Lord went to Um, the well, and the Samaritan woman was there, Uh, she said, well, your people say worship on this mountain, our say to worship on this mountain, which is true, and he's like, neither, okay, so he removed the religious context, he removed the hostility, and then also he used the fact of the Samaritan that was wounded, and the man that came and helped Or no, the man that was wounded and the Good Samaritan helped that wounded man, which wouldn't have been a slap in the face to the religious leaders when he used that story. All right, let's finish up with the cost of fear. I thought this statement was really good when I was going over my notes last night. Fear requires systems that protect. Fear is always, and now this is after the idea of Jeroboam, right? And He built entire systems. Fear is always centered around protecting one's self-interest versus the good of those under your care or who do life with you. For us, the system we construct might consist of lies and mindset sets that prevent us from living the life we were born to live. There might be systems of jealousy, envy, selfish ambition that are sourced from a competitive mindset versus a creative mindset that understands you've been given all things for whatever it is you were born to do. We might even use disciplines like tithing, reading our Bible, praying, and volunteering out of fear of punishment or lack of acceptance if we don't. We don't confront when needed due to fear. Or we respond to crisis based out of fear in the name for the good of the people versus faith and common sense. And there's that scripture, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin in Romans 14, 23b. The worst thing any of us can do is make a decision based in fear. I used to think that I was supposed to do it afraid, which I've done before, or to pray, even when I was scared. But according to that, doing anything out of fear is sin because it does not proceed from faith. Jeroboam established an idolatrous system that was disastrous for his family line and his kingdom out of fear. The man of God made a decision to listen to someone he esteemed over himself and God out of fear in the form of insecurity. Any fear is a manifestation of a lack of of the revelation of love in that area. Mature love, perfect love, casts out fear. But it also reveals a worship as something other than God because you always worship what you fear and what you fear you worship. The man of God was honored later by Josiah, but what could he have done with his life if he had obeyed? Now, I'm not going to read the... um, prophecy y'all can read it but it talks about like dogs you know eating people and all kinds of stuff I mean everything concerning Jeroboam and his family um, it was going to be bad but we do know about this time the son of Jeroboam fell sick and so he had her go to the prophet that originally gave him the word of the ten tribes and uh, they wanted to know what would happen with the son and so, um, when she came, the prophet heard her feet, and he said, Come come in, wife of Jeroboam, why do you pretend to be another? You know, I might as well just read it. For I'm charged with unbearable news for you. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you leader over the people Israel and toward the kingdom away from the house of David. And I gave it to you, and yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commandments and followed me with all his heart, doing that which was right. But you have done evil above all who were before you, and have gone and made for yourself other gods, and metal images provoking me to anger, and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring harm on the house of Jeroboam, and I will cut off every male from Jeroboam, both bond and free in Israel, And I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as a man burns up dung until it is gone. Anything belonging to Jeremiah who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And Anyone who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat, for the Lord has spoken it. Arise, therefore, go to your house, and when your feet enter the city, your child shall die. And all Israel will mourn for him and bury him, for he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave because in him there was found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel, the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut cut off the house of Jeroboam today. And henceforth, the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water and root up Israel out of the good land that he has given. And he gave to their fathers and scattered them beyond the Euphrates because they had made their ashram, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give up Israel because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned and made Israel to sin. And Jeroboam rose up, departed, came to Terza. And as she came to the threshold of the house, the child died and everything else happened. He died. He reigned for like 22 years and Nadab, his son. Rehoboam didn't do much better. He reigned for 41 years. Or no, when he was 41, he began to reign. He reigned for 17 in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nama, the Ammonite. And Judah also did evil. They provoked them with sins. They built for themselves high places, ashram as well. They had male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations the Lord drove out. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze, committed them to the officers of the guard, etc., etc. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continuously. And then we have another one. But it's like a parallel story. And I think it's important to realize the principle of... Influence people have around you Because if you're like in a close relationship or maybe a family or maybe you're sitting under a leader You know at a church or even a workplace Even if you are unaware Of how they are in their heart or the things that they're doing behind the scenes You will find yourself under that influence and you need to resist right You've got to have healthy boundaries, healthy word, healthy people in your life to protect you. Because you see over and over, Israel would have idolatry, Judah would have idolatry. Israel would get worse, then Judah would get worse. I mean, it just, it was like a parallel thing. So it's very important to do check-ins. Lord, am I, you know, experiencing this because maybe, you know, like I've told you all this story of my friends that all of a sudden they're having fear. They don't have fear. It was their pastor that was in fear. Once they were aware of that, that put an end to it. I've heard stories of people where they overcame sexual perversions, and then all of a sudden they start going to church, and they start thinking bad thoughts, and they think it's them. No, it's probably someone around you. It may be you, but maybe you should ask yourself, is there someone around me that's thinking these things, and I'm kind of picking it up? The further away, though, you get from that sin that you originally had to deal with, the less it happens.
1: Because it is possible to live above the snake line. Well, I thought it was interesting. It was just... Because we see, it's, like you said, it's cyclic, cyclatory or what have. that there's cycles, and whenever his son was sick, then he decides he'll go reach out and see what he ought to do from the prophet. Uh-huh.
0: And, I mean, full confession, if I was a prophet, I'd be like, where are you doing here? I'd be like, Elijah, who told you to come here? (laughs) You know? And then I'd have to repent and then probably send a servant and chase him down and then deliver the word. But it is. It's the turning to God in times of trouble. That's why I always say the greatest test is to follow God when everything's going well. That's actually more of a test because... You know what I mean? That I Like that time when we are I don't remember what song it was, but I was like, um, you know, telling the Lord in worship, you know, I, I need you, I still need you. And um, it was so, it was such a blessing because, you know, life is good, things are good. And, uh, but my need for him was just as strong as the times where maybe we were believing for our food or, you know, to pay a bill. And uh, so anyway, you're, it, it's if you can learn to be just as devoted to God in times that are good, and, this is important, in ministry, because whether your minister, ministry is marketplace or in a pulpit, you can never confuse that for relationship. The presence of God is found in prayer. And so you always have to have that time to unite with Him and not mistake it, especially as task-focused people, because it's so fun and exhilarating following the Lord and doing what He wants me to do, that if I'm not careful, that will replace relationship. Does that make sense? So when times are good and when you're operating in your call, don't let those replace uh, relationship with them. So Father, we thank You so much. We thank You for the lessons uh, that are in the Word of God for us, that we can literally read Your manual and go back and look at the good things and look at the things that cause problems and not repeat those mistakes. And so, Father, we invite you to be straightforward and obvious. We invite you to show us that love is easy and it's pure. We we invite you to be ruthless with any lies, any fears, any unbelief that would cause us to complicate. In fact, Father, I'm thinking complicating a matter is probably a sign of fear. So help us recognize those patterns, those thought and behavior patterns that we have created as coping mechanisms really, Father. Uh, Protection, we've created systems to protect us. I ask that you alert us to those that are unique to each one of us that we might be doing throughout the week, throughout the next several weeks, months, years. Show us those areas that we will just it's autopilot we may not even recognize what we're doing when we do that i ask that you alert us hey that is a response to fear that is a response to insecurity whatever it is father those more obvious ones the records that begin to play in our head the feeling that comes over us sometimes that we're not enough the comparison that we sometimes get into I ask, Father, that you help us to tap into the Holy Spirit and what He is saying to us and simply believe Him. Any blockages, any obstacles, Father, we ask that you break down, tear down, help us cooperate with you because we don't want to end our days in fear and insecurity. We want to follow you and your word and never allow anyone, no matter their good intention, to trump the sound we've heard from you we always want to know your voice more clearly every day. And so this morning, we're going to give you our tithes and offerings. And We don't do this under any obligation of the law because we're no longer under that. We are under the law of liberty. And therefore, as kings and priests, we give our tithes and offerings to you this morning. Kings to a king, priests to the high priest, with no obligation other than confessing our loyalty when it comes to our provision from you. And, Father, also to slap the enemy in the face because that's what he wants, the glitter and glamour of wealth and of cities. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, we give that to you. We ask that you accept it where you are seated in heaven. We thank you for everything you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.